this is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Stephen McGid. Dr. McGid's the Chief Medical Information. He's also in charge of quality coordination at HSS. HSS is one of the most magnificent systems in the country. Uh, top in orthopedics for the last 11 years or so is ranked by U.S. News and World Report. Uh, it's simply a magnificent institution. Thrilled to get a chance to talk to Dr. McGid today about sort of the role of CMIO, how systems stay great and become great, and, and a lot more. Dr. McGee, can you take a moment and tell us about your role, both in quality and, and chief medical information officer, and then we'll talk about where you're focused for this year and a little bit more. Yeah, a- absolutely. Ha- happy to. So um, I uh, actually started uh, my career at the Hospital for Special Surgery, I think, uh, probably in 1972 when I wrote my first paper in uh, the, uh, the HSS library in the first year of medical uh, school. So I've been with the HSS my uh, in, entire career. Um, I, I did my internship residency and, and trained in rheumatology, uh, where I did a whole bunch of uh, uh, clinical medicine for decades and became involved in uh, perioperative medicine. And then um, as, as it became uh, clear that we needed to implement an electronic record, uh, we were sort of best of class, 20 years ago, and we, we implemented first one record, then another. The CIO came to me and said, you know, we need somebody to um, to help with the implementation and the change management. And so I said, you know, I know nothing about IT. And he said, perfect, because this is not about IT. It's about really change management. So I sort of fell into IT. More I got involved in IT, I, I'd always been involved in quality, uh, redoing the quality uh, along with many others, we'll be doing the quality structure probably about 15, 20 years ago and and chaired uh, starting then and to this day something called the Quality Coordinating Committee, the QCC. And as I became CMIO, it, was, it became abundantly clear uh, that metrics and information uh, drives uh, and should drive quality in addition to a whole bunch of other things. So that's sort of my career trajectory and uh, how I became involved in quality and safety and its interrelationship between uh, uh, being a CMIO and and uh, quality. Thank you. And, and and take a moment and sort of, I mean, what a magnificent career. Well, take a moment and sort of HSS, because you've been there for a long time. You've watched it become better and better. Talk a little bit about how that happens. How does an institution become constantly improving and get yeah. better and better? Yeah. Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. It's been a real privilege to be here and, uh, for so long. And, and again, I <laughs> I can't speak from experience uh, to compare it against anything because I have no experience elsewhere. Uh, but what's clear to me uh, is that the people who are hired are the best and the brightest and and really are passionate about what they do. So uh, what it caused HSS uh, founded in, you know, in the Civil War era to be great and, and remain great, it's, they're the same things. Uh, you have to hire the best and the brightest. You need to be involved in research, teaching, and in clinical work. They're so interdependent and require and, and push us to the next level. If you don't do research, you don't understand what's important and, and uh, you know, on the cutting edge. If you don't teach, uh, you're, you don't keep yourself on the cutting edge. Uh, and if you don't, if you're not holding yourself to high standards clinically, uh, then then you're, you're nowhere. Uh, but it's uh, the other two points, other than sort of getting the right people, having the right cultures, you need to be metric driven, uh, because you could think you're doing a great job, and, and 
you're not, or you could be measuring the wrong things. And I think uh, that's uh, some that's something we have uh, through the years been much more attuned to, and that's of course uh, integrally related with what IT and CMIOs and CIOs do. And the other thing is never never be satisfied with the status quo. In other words, uh, what worked and what we considered a, a great goal a year ago uh, is not a great goal now and, and shouldn't be uh, necessarily. So sort of always raising the bar and our expectations. But, but it's, a, it's a great thought process around constantly hiring the best and brightest, constantly looking at the right things, the right quality, the right key metrics, and, 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 and never being satisfied, constantly wanting to get better, which is, which is, is, is uh, challenging and not easy. It's, it's a great thought process and way of approaching things, and it's led to great success there. Take a moment on when you think about the role of CMIO, Chief Medical Information Officer, what are you most focused on and excited about as you look at this next year? Yeah, <laughs> I think survival is number one. Uh, you know, COVID has sucked the air out of the room for everybody. And uh, so COVID is really, really uh, uh, interesting. And, and, and that, that has to be an area of focus. There are all sorts of granular things you have to do day to day in terms of reporting to registries, making sure New drugs are on formularies, so we just have, uh, thankfully, uh, a, a new drug uh, just becoming available over the last few weeks. Sort of all these day-to-day things, getting shots in arms, making sure that that we're doing all the things necessary to keep our, our people safe and uh, at work. But also there's a larger thing related to, to COVID uh, over the next year, and it's a change in in how we operate, right? Not all of us are sitting at, at our desks anymore. Some of us are doing telemedicine, others of us are working from home in IT. Uh, so the whole, uh, uh, we're really focused on how to optimize uh, the experiences uh, that we have gained from COVID and, and not let it change our culture uh, and to strike some sort of balance between uh, work from home and, and in office. And uh, that's, you know, you don't typically think of a CMIO as uh, as being somebody who is necessarily concerned with culture, but if you're not concerned with that, then, then you're not really doing your job. Um, other things related to, uh, to the upcoming year, uh, we've had a, a very, very smooth transition with the first parts of the 21st Century Cures Act and, and all its attendant other pieces, and so uh, we, we were very successful in, in um, implementing the first few phases, and as you uh, probably know now, the entire electronic medical record or data set um, uh, is is now going to be made available to patients. So that whole uh, technical um, issues related to getting every last detail of the defined record set to patients, and also having the workflows to support it, and also the culture to support it when the patients really get more and more of their record, which is really, I think, critical to good care. So the 21st Century Cures Act. Um, also, uh, you know, uh, we're an epic organization, and uh, it, it's, it's a really never-ending story, which I think is a really good thing, because if you're, if you're, if you're, no matter what electronic record you use, if you're not consistently optimizing uh, uh, training your your team, both new and old folks, with new new functionality. So there's a lot related to to using uh, the system in a better way every year, 
and I think they hold themselves to high standards, and they get better every year also. Uh, a couple of other things. That are, do you want me to keep going? <laughs> yeah, no, give us a couple more thoughts. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Then I want to ask you a couple of questions about being a okay. doctor. And it, let, let, me, let me let you go on for a couple more moments, and then I want to ask you a couple of questions yeah. about being a doctor today. Somebody's taking their MCAT, say, would you tell them to go to med school? Yeah. Would you tell okay. them, oh, my God, no, find uh, a new career? I have you know, great, what advice would you have for young doctors, I, stuff I like have, that? I have a lot of stuff to say about that. But so, so the other a few things, um, uh, there's some really interesting governance issues that comes up related to IT. And one of the things that we're embarking on now is what's called an enterprise radiology or imaging governance. You know, it used to be uh, back in the day, you'd, you'd put up, you'd wait your turn in a line to go to a, a light box in the radiology department and they would put up your films and that would, that would be it. But now imaging is part and parcel of what we do all the time. And, and uh, the whole concept of, uh, we'll take ultrasound, for example. I mean, our musculoskeletal radiology ultrasound people or imaging ultrasound people are the tops, you know, bar none. Uh, and they use the top line equipment and, uh, you know, goes into the PAC system. And there's a phenomenal amount of research and work that goes with that. But quite frankly, at four in the morning, if I have to get a tap a joint that I can't get into, a small joint, I'm going to want to use whatever handheld ultrasound at the point of care I might have. Uh, and, uh, you know, who trains me? What, uh, where does that ultrasound go? Uh, uh, how, do, how do we make sure that I'm compliant and, and that these images are stored properly and don't take up unneeded space in the PAC system or, or whatever it happens to be? So, so that whole concept of you know, what standards should we use, who should uh, be uh, uh, trained to do it, what are the minimum training standards, all that is really interesting to me. And how do you uh, protect the patient's uh, privacy? And then finally, the whole idea of documentation and a note bloat, um, you know, the, uh, the coding rules uh, have fostered a whole culture of putting in as many things as you can in, in the note. And it's to the detriment of, of uh, the readership and those who, who read the notes. So the whole idea of having uh, new coding rules that govern um, what really needs to be in a note, they've been loosened up considerably. And we need to make our, our documentation uh, reflect both the new uh, E&M coding rules, but also what's proper and best for patients. But your point there is so important because getting to the, the core of what's really needed for a patient, another caregiver, another provider for when someone they come back to notes is so important versus note flow. It reminds me of the old days, you know, it's the old, old Mark Twain, you know, concept of I could have written a shorter letter, but it would have taken more time. <laughs> I love that quote. I love that Because quote. it's more, you know, or brevity is the essence of wit because it's more thoughtful to actually hit here's what's important, here's what's not. It's easier just to catalog everything, and you, I've, I've not heard it called notebook, but I love that. One final question, Dr. McGid. You know, a young person going to med school today, would you tell them to go? Would you tell them not to go? Where are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I have personal experience with, with this, and at the, at the risk of embarrassing my family members, <clears throat> uh, I, I had a, have a daughter who spent uh, a decade in Africa doing refugee work, and uh, and uh, public health and and uh, she had two masters and uh, really saw some of the worst things you could possibly imagine and uh, she saw a child fall out of a tree reaching for a bird uh, for the family's dinner and, and he succumbed to his head injury and she said i never want to be in that position again so after 10 years in africa two masters 
she came back to the States, went through post-bac, went through med school, and, and now is an emergency room uh, doctor in the same emergency room that I worked in uh, 40 years ago. Um, and so uh, it, it's, it's a calling. It's uh, one of the most noble things you could possibly do in life. I think um, uh, it's evolved uh, clearly since I've trained where it was sort of, you know, survival uh, after four days on and two, one day off. Uh, it, it clearly has evolved, but uh, more people are applying to medical school now than ever before, uh, which is, is stunning because, you know, you read how many people are leaving the field. Uh, I think uh, we clearly need to have our eyes on uh, the causes of burnout. And um, I'm actually working with uh, on a huge project related to uh, uh, altering our mandatory training for physicians because that's a cause of burnout. So we clearly have to recognize the problems and it's not all the EHR. In fact, I think it's now a minor, not a minor, but a, a much lesser part of it. Um, we, we need to sort of address those incredible inefficiencies are in our system uh, that require us to, you know, prior authorizations and just the whole concept of, of um, the amount of administrative paperwork we do, uh, that needs to be addressed. But it's really amazing that despite the number of people leaving the profession, there, the um, number of, of students in medical school and applications is going up. So that's, that's a wonderful thing. And medicine uh, is exploding. I mean, the concept of an mRNA uh, vaccine to, uh, made within a year. Uh, Ten years ago, or, or, you know, when I was trained, would be un, unheard of. And so there's so many opportunities on the horizon uh, for uh, physician scientists and public health. I, I think in information technology, I, I think it's, it's one of the greatest things that somebody could, uh, could do. Absolutely. Well, just magnificent, and so many interesting things that we'd love to pick up with you on another podcast. Uh, number one, congratulations, and what an amazing job your daughter did in, in becoming a doctor as a second career, simply amazing. Um, and then, to so many other issues there about opportunities in medicine, about there not being enough medical school spots given and graduate spots, given the number of doctors we need. You know, I know that it, it's something like 50,000 apply, 20,000 get in, and there's yeah. just not nearly enough doctors being created, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, and not enough GME spots and everything, and maybe shortening the GME track, or how, how do we yeah. make it easier for people to become doctors? Cause it's become um, literally a, a, an inverse problem, a serious problem. Yeah. Uh, Dr. McGinn, I, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure to visit with you and hear yeah. your thoughts. Yeah. It's been my pleasure, and I think I've already expressed to you how much I enjoy uh, uh, reading your daily uh, emails. So it's uh, it's been a pleasure too. Thank you so much. What what a great institution and a great leader, Dr. Stephen McGid. Thank you so much, and and more importantly, the 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 younger Dr. McGid deserves our credit. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all uh, pretty proud. Uh, both of my daughters too. My other one's in public health, and so we're, we're all. And my wife's a doc, so we're <clears throat> we're pretty blessed with a. Uh, a, a medical family. So. That is simply remarkable. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure.